She was a beautiful Jewish girl in Susa, the capital city of Persia, in a day when the Medo-Persian Empire ruled the world. Selected to become the replacement queen in a nationwide beauty pageant, Esther had to leave her home and Mordecai, her uncle, who had raised her. Now established in the royal palace as queen, she learned of an evil plot to destroy all the Jews across the empire. Mordecai heard about it too, and in great distress sent an urgent message to Esther. He urged her to approach the king and plead for the life of her people. But Esther hesitated. Who wouldn't? The penalty for entering the king's presence without a specific invitation was death. I wonder how he would have handled telemarketers calling during the dinner hour. Under extraordinary circumstances, the king might extend his golden scepter and spare the petitioner's life. But the prospects of taking that sort of chance were terrifying. The young queen reported all these things in a message to her guardian, and he sent back this word, this small slice of dialogue I can't get out of my mind. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther 4.13 and 14 Notice the second sentence in Mordecai's message. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. In other words, Mordecai was saying, I have faith that the God of our fathers will not allow his people to be totally destroyed in this way. Somehow he will step in. Somehow he will spare a remnant of his people. If you sit back and remain silent, Esther, God will use someone else to achieve his purposes. But you are his first choice, and it's up to you how you're going to respond. Esther, of course, took her uncle's message to heart. She determined to step into this God adventure, this opportunity to save her people. After calling all the Jews in the city to fast and pray for her, the young woman said, And so I will go to the king which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. That's verse 16. When God wants something done, when he has some kingdom mission impossible to accomplish, he goes looking for a man or woman to take the assignment. The Bible tells us that, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Second Chronicles 16.9 He's looking for people who will take on risky operations of love and mercy. He is looking for men and women who will put his will above everything else in life. And every now and then, perhaps even today, his eye rests on you, and he offers you that opportunity. You can take it or you can let it go by. If you don't do it, he'll probably select someone else. Relief and deliverance will arise from another place, and the job will get done. But you won't even be able to imagine what you've missed. A Fork in the Road Another story that haunts me is Jesus' encounter with a nameless wealthy young man as he made his final journey toward Jerusalem. Here was an important civic leader, a youthful climber with prestige, bearing, and a bank account that would have been the envy of many older men in Judea. But there was a hollowness in his chest that led him ever so close to the God-adventure of a lifetime. For all his status and personal wealth, this man had a hungry heart. 
The Gospel of Mark tells us that he ran to Jesus, falling on his knees in the dust before him. You know the story. He asked Jesus what he had to do to inherit eternal life. He knew the commands, and he'd kept them all since he was a boy. But there was something more, and he knew it. He deeply wanted that something. But with all his heart? Not quite. Mark tells us that Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Mark 10.21 it was a wide-open invitation into a God adventure from the lips of God's Son, your mission should you choose to accept it. We know that he didn't accept the mission. We know that he went away sad. That's what it says in verse 22. The original language seems to indicate that this was something more than feeling a little down. He grieved. His heart was very heavy. Everything in him told him he was making a wrong choice but he made it anyway. Jesus wasn't asking him for his money. He wanted to change his identity. He was inviting him into a new way of life. It's quite a picture, isn't it? That invitation is still extended to each of us today. But what if he'd made a different choice? What if this young man, whom Jesus loved so dearly, had taken a deep breath, agreed to the Lord's terms, went back to his beautiful villa, and sold everything he owned except the clothes on his back? What if he had turned those assets over to a steward with the instructions to distribute everything right down to the last denarius to the poor people in the towns and villages across Judea? Then let's imagine he came running back to Jesus, fell at his knees again, and said, Teacher, it's done. Everything's gone. Everything's sold. Lead me, Lord. What would his life have been like from that point on? We can't know that, of course, but maybe we can speculate a little. Would he have savored the close companionship of God's Messiah as Jesus walked toward Jerusalem and Calvary? Would he have become disciple number 13 and then one of the mighty apostles carrying the word of Christ out into the frontiers of civilization? Would he have experienced the very power of God flowing through him, healing the sick, raising the dead, and opening prison doors? Might he have written a book of the Bible that would touch billions of lives over thousands of years? Would his name have appeared on the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem in place of Judas? Revelation 21.14 And then, what of eternity? Jesus specifically told the wealthy young man that he would have treasure in heaven. To who else did he reveal such a thing? No one. When had Jesus ever spoken directly to an individual about his or her eternal destiny on the other side? Something unimaginably significant awaited this young man. If only he would have responded in that moment, at that fork in the road. When the one who created the glories of the universe and set galaxies spinning into the void tells you he has something special in mind for you, well, who can even conceive of such a thing? It was all right there for this young man, a life of transcendent joy and purpose. It was all within reach at the crossroads that day, and he just walked away. He refused the offer. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad. Verse 22. 
and I have to believe that for the rest of his hollow days until he was an old, old man, he would remember that moment. Remember those eyes that met his, eyes that seemed to open into an eternal vastness. And he would ask himself how it might have been if he had traded in his gold for Jesus. The point is, we have no idea, not even the smallest notion, of what we are accepting or what we are refusing when we make a choice about a God adventure. The implications reach across the years of this life and send their reverberations into eternity. Since we'll never know, the wise choice is to always follow God, no matter what He asks, no matter where He leads, even if it's to a cross. A Bigger Perspective For years I chose not to participate in God adventures by simply not choosing at all. That's a decision, too. Not choosing is a choice. Not long ago, we had former NBA great David Thompson on the 700 Club talking about coming to Christ after years of superstardom in the incredibly bright spotlight of professional sports. As with so many other athletes in that intoxicating realm, David pursued pleasure and became involved in many things he shouldn't have. By his own account, he was really all about himself in those days. In the interview, he used the word ego as an acronym for edging God out. And so it is for all of us. When we steadfastly close our hearts to God's invitations, when we neglect to acknowledge His presence in our lives, we're pretty much living in an ego mode, edging God out simply by staying in the center of our own universe. After years of living that way, it becomes more and more difficult to see things from a bigger perspective. I think we're born staring at our navels and continue to live that way until...